0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Thought Media Sportscast. Today, I'm joined by the best minds in sports, Jared, Aiden, Bart, and Wyatt. Today, we'll be diving into the sports archives, telling our classic sports stories. But first, we're going to be debating the NFL greatest of all time teams um, that Bleacher Report is doing a simulation for. So, Wyatt, how about you lead us off with that?
1: Yeah, so... We're going Like Lucas said, we're going through some of the GOAT rosters uh, that the Bleacher Report has put together. So this is all 32 NFL teams that they've put together. And we're going to list our favorite, a uh, Dark Horse team and a Bust. And then before we really get into it, as of recording today, we're down to the Elite Eight. So that leaves the Chiefs, Pats, Steelers, Titans, Rams, and Giants, Packers, and Panthers. So those are the teams that we're going to be picking from as far as our favorites and Dark Horses. So for the favorite... My favorite, I'm going with the old logo, LA Rams, specifically <laughs> the old logo. Uh, I think if you look at the LA Rams lot roster and you just kind of look at the running backs that they had, especially Marshall Falk, uh, running backs. I know this is, is for specifically for Madden running backs are what I was consider to be gold juke moves or whatever. But I mean, Marshall Falk is one of the greatest running backs that we've ever seen in the NFL, I think he was on – oh, no, he got snubbed from the top 100 team. But he should have been there, so I'm going to go with that. He should have been there for the top 100 team. Uh, My next pick from my dark horse, it's going to be the New York Giants, which kind of feels like just – I know it's a homer pick for me, but when you look at guys like Lawrence Taylor – and Odell Beckham Jr. and Saquon Barkley. I think those are guys really significant playmakers that they have on both sides of the ball. And, of course, Lawrence Taylor is probably the greatest defensive player of all time. You could probably say that. I mean, if you ask Bill Belichick, he would definitely say that. And then uh, my easy bus pick, as I pick the Lions, because I think historically that they suck, that they're one of the only teams that have never won a Super Bowl, and their two best players (laughs) – Re, re, would rather not play football at all than play for the Lions and Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders. Oh my god. Terrible part.
2: Wait, how was OBJ not a Cleveland Brown? Cuz Cause he, cause he's, <laughs> he's only played what? 1 year?
1: One I, know, year? I know. I'm just There kidding. were some interesting picks as far as like the rosters go and who yeah. goes where and I think they they got it right for the most part. But, yeah. Go ahead, Bart. Give us your teams.
3: Uh, okay, so you you picked the Rams as your favorite. I actually have them as my dark horse. Um, I'll admit I had the I initially had the Niners as my favorite until the Rams beat them. So maybe I should have the Rams as my favorite. But uh, my favorite I'm gonna say is is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I just think top to bottom that roster is like obscenely stacked. I mean like uh, Terry Bradshaw. They got Jerome Bettis. Heinz Ward, I mean, on the defensive end, you got like Troy Polamalu, Joe Green, some mm-hmm. amazing linebackers as well, uh, like James Harrison. Um, yeah, I don't know that the Steelers historical roster is just like crazy full of names that are, are classics. So I think they, they are my favorite. But the Rams, for all the reasons you mentioned, you actually didn't even mention Eric Dickerson, who, who I think is maybe even <laughs> that- more relevant to them than...
1: The name escaped me, I'll be honest. I wasn't looking at the roster uh, at the top of my head. But yeah, yeah no, I mean right, Marshall
3: right. Falk is an icon, but Diggerson had the two thousand yard season, right? So um, yeah, yeah. The Rams offense on their historical team is also obscene. Uh, my bust as a Minnesota homer, of course, I have to pick the Vikings. Now, my one gripe <laughs> with this whole thing, I think it's ridiculous that Bleacher Report said let's make the starting like starting rounds interdivisional because the Vikings versus the Packers and the Bears versus the Lions is a really stupid way to do it when all four of those teams honestly are probably like top ten all time rosters, and two of them are knocked out like right off the bat. So yeah, yeah the Vikings lost to the Packers, but I still I would have had them as like a elite aider, to be honest at least uh, if you pick if you'd asked me before it all started. So L for the Vikes. Aiden, who do you got? Yeah, the usual Ls for the Vikes. Sorry, man. You know what, dude? It's a tough life, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) The Jets
4: fan can't really talk much. (laughs) The Jets don't even qualify to be, like, a good bust pick because they're, like, below that. Um, But anyway, um, my favorite, I'm agreeing with Bart on the favorite with the Steelers. Their their defense is just from long ago, like, the Steel Curtain era versus, like, even, like, recently. It's just been ridiculous, and that means they're stacked there. Um, And they're one, like small weakness is quarterback where they've still got big ben and terry bradshaw so like that's not really a weakness and then you have him throwing to heinz ward and antonio brown plus you know jerome bettis as, as bart mentioned that is it's a ridiculous team so they're my favorites my dark horse is gonna be the chiefs um it felt like more of a dark horse when the tournament was starting but uh, having Patrick Mahomes like throw into Travis Kelsey and Tony Gonzalez like plus like Jamal Charles or Priest Holmes in the backfield uh, that's that's a pretty stacked team. In terms of my bust uh, I'm going to own my failure here uh, the, <laughs> I picked the Green Bay Packers ahead of time as my bust. I thought starting Brett Favre over Aaron Rodgers was a mistake um, I thought you know Aaron Rodgers has sat behind Brett Favre for long enough I didn't think he'd do it anymore <laughs> uh, but anyway it seems like they're doing fine with brett Favre uh taking the helm uh so i've i, I failed on that one so we'll, we'll see if they can they're the the first team in the final four correct so we'll see if um i hope they don't actually win it because that
0: would kind of hurt
4: <laughs> uh, uh lucas what are you what are you feeling
0: um, so I like you. Originally had the Packers down as my bust. I didn't think that there was enough talent team wise to really take them, and thought they had gotten like a high ranking on their their name alone. But clearly, I like you was very wrong about that. Um, so, but to start off, my favorite as of now is the New England Patriots. I am persuaded by the argument that Steelers have top to bottom best roster, but you have Tom Brady who's. Greatest quarterback of all time, I think, pretty undoubtedly. And you have just such a solid team around them. Um, on defense, just guys up and down who under Bill Belichick have thrived. Stars like Teddy Bruschi. It's not as flashy of a lineup as the Steelers, but just like the Patriots in real life, I think it's just they're, you can't really find any weaknesses. So I'm going to go with the Patriots as my favorite. Dark Horse, I'm agreeing with White here. I went with the New York Football Giants. I agree that they have great skill players. Saquon, Tiki Barber in the backfield, Odell Beckham Jr. You know, Eli is a pretty good quarterback. You know, he can get the job done. <laughs> when he needs to. Yeah. Especially if they come up True. against the Patriots at some point in this. <laughs> so, um, And they... I, I wrote down the exact same thing as White too. That Lawrence Taylor is maybe the greatest all-time defensive player. So while they don't have a ton of studs outside of that i think that alone could probably carry them my bust was who i originally picked as my favorite before i saw the results rolling in and that is the san francisco 49ers yeah um i i thought that offense with joe montana jerry rice and everybody was just gonna like blow people away but i feel like this is sort of textbooks defense defense wins championships um, yeah, but you know what the offense... thing about that
3: is, though? Their defense is also really good. If you look at I the know. roster. It's really
0: frustrating. Yeah. How yeah. did they lose? So I, don't, I don't <laughs> even... Yes. I don't know what happened there. Disappointed overall, but I don't know. I guess for one of the few times in my life, I'm pulling for the Patriots to win it all just so I can look right. So, Jaron. <laughs> Who do you got as your favorite dark horse? Um, and bust?
2: So I just went with the Packers, mostly because they're the team that's already made it to the final four as of this recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I did think Gene. it was—I <laughs> did think it was weird that they went with Brett Favre over Aaron Rodgers as well. Um, Aaron Rodgers, the teammate chemistry—I don't know if they factored that into Madden Sims, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure they didn't have a good chemistry when they were together. Anyway, for my dark horse, before this started, I—I I think I would have picked the Lions because. They would have had Megatron, Barry Sanders, and then I think Matthew Stafford is good enough. Like, when you have those guys, you just have to either hand it off to Barry, let him do his thing, or throw it up to Megatron. I also had Golden Tate, who's like, he's pretty good, you know. But they played the Packers in the second round. Um, I guess going forward, I would go with the Panthers. In the Bleacher Report, like, uh, power rankings, they were ranked 30th out of 32 and somehow I've made it to the elite eight. So this shows that the sim kind of just makes no sense. So why not just go with the Panthers? Uh, no, for my for my bust, for my bust, I'm going with the Dallas Cowboys. They were in Bleacher Reports like <laughs> Bleacher Reports a, um, power rankings. They were the second best team, and their team is just stacked with 90 overall players, um, especially on offense, like that Des Bryant, Zeke, Emmett Smith. Troy Aikman and they lost uh, to the 18th ranked team in the Washington Redskins um, they didn't have Deion Sanders I think that was probably the reason why they lost yeah, it's because um, they
4: weren't starting Dak yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they didn't give Dak his money <laughs> the Cowboys
1: are destined to go eat and eat no matter what oh my God. <laughs> anyway
2: um, by now I'm sure you can hear the gentle music rocking us into our short story segment NBA players are using dog fenders to keep their skills sharp. These are dogs playing one-on-one defense against NBA players as the players work to keep their skills sharp. I used the film to create a dog fender breed tier list slash scouting report. Um, Since there's no real sports really to report about, so why not? Um, So in the dog breed scouting report, I first went with the, the vizla, which is a... Brown, medium-sized dog, uh, specifically Kevin Love's Vizsla. They're kind of the UCS, UCF of this list. They they did have multiple steals on Kevin Love, so they performed well, but it's, it was against weak competition. It was Kevin Love. So um, Kevin Love even had to resort to offensive fouls, but still they're taking the top spot on the list. Second goes to the Pitbull, specifically Grizzly, who was matched up against Zach Levine last month. The Pittsburghs are really just lightning in a bottle. I love their aggressive play style. They have great closing speed. They actually stole the ball once against Levine. Good effort on rebounds, but ultimately they were undisciplined and easily fooled by hand movements. Third, I'm going with Rottweilers. These are high-motor, scrappy, lunch-pail kind of players, Um, as exhibited by Nala, which is Candace Parker's Rottweiler. Spirited defense, kept their eye on the ball. But keeping your eye on the ball means you get fooled on everything, and they were prone to crossovers. They're really good in triple-team situations, though. Uh, LaMelo Ball was triple-teamed by a pack of Rottweilers, and they forced an errant errant shot by uh, LaMelo Ball in fact he threw the ball at the at the at the hoop so that, that was the normal good. shot
3: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that might have be been normal shot for him.
2: also in other news he's trying to buy the team he just played for anyway uh fourth <laughs> yeah. is the golden retriever um they have athleticism but very poor effort my film shows a very pitiful display of defense against clay thompson in 2017 they slipped on the hardwood and then all they did was loudly complain about it by barking at Clay Thompson while he smoothly drained a three as always um, last if you're if you're looking to train your crossover moves do not get a French bulldog they are severely undersized lack quickness really lack any kind of athleticism uh, Trey Young's French bulldog Normie was brutally crossed over on several occasions uh, and completely lacked presence of mind to box out on Trey Young's shot um, <laughs> Did sprint for the rebound, though. And then, if, if you needed any more evidence, Danny Ainge, a 60-year-old, was crossing over his French bulldog. So, if you're looking to improve your moves, I recommend a Vizsla or Pitbull and steer clear of the French Bulldogs. Aiden, what's your story this week?
4: <laughs> it's going to be a tough one to top. But... <laughs> I'm going to discuss uh, uh, one of the most dominant NFL players when it comes to Madden uh chargers safety derwin james everyone watch out do not play derwin james at madden (laughs) uh last week there was a madden tournament amongst nfl players and derwin played tyreek hill in the final and won 52 to 3 which is (laughs) pretty pretty good beat down and that could have something to do with the fact that tyreek was picked the bears to play with which is a an interesting move He's really just dreaming of having Mitch Trubisky throw to him, I guess. You know, everyone everyone watch out. Yeah. Who did, Derwin, <laughs> but, who did Derwin play with? Uh the 49ers. So uh, a slightly oh. better team, just just vaguely better. Um, but that's that's not the only case of Derwin's absolute dominance. He played Michael Vick in the final of the esports Madden Invitational um, a week ago, which I'm sure we were all watching when that happened, and he won eighty to sixteen. <laughs> So Derwin is just absolutely demolishing people out here. He did that against Vic, who's like the ultimate cheat code in Madden. I guess he's not actually that good at Madden, uh, which is disappointing. Um, uh, but but anyway, yeah. So if Derwin ever challenges you to a game, just just back off. Just don't. And especially don't pick the bears, please. Please, God. Um but
0: <laughs> Yes. <laughs> a good call nonetheless. <laughs> Um, And with that, we are going to move into a new segment this week called From the Archives. So with sports off the radar for a while, we're going to be digging into the archives of old sports seasons, looking at them, tracing some storylines, and reviving some debates that uh, plagued sportscasters back in those days. So first up from the archives, we have randomly selected the 1972-73 NBA season. And each of us will be going through a storyline and we're going to finish it off with the debate. So, uh, I am first up with my storyline and I'm going to talk about, about my beloved Philadelphia 76ers and how they went 9 and 73, which is still to this day the worst record in NBA history in an 82 game season. Um, and it's a little bit surprising. They went a disappointing 30 and 52 the year before, they just missed out on a playoff spot um but it's a little bit concerning considering they won the championship in 1967 you're only five years out you wouldn't expect that sharp of a decline but they just fell off an absolute cliff this season not only did they go nine and 73 but they started the season four and 58 uh they eventually salvaged it a little bit in the end going five and 15 over the last 20 uh games of the season They finished 59 games behind the first-place Celtics, which is not great. And it's also not a great sign that the guy who played the most minutes, Bill Bridges, is 33 and averaged only 10 points a game. Uh, Their go-to guy was Fred Carter, who I have never heard of before, and he averaged only around 20 points per game. So not a great look for the Sixers this year. Uh, Need a good pick in the next draft and move on from coach Kevin Lockery who replaced uh, Ruben midseason but didn't really do much. So sixers not looking great this year. Bart what's your storyline from the 72-73 season? So I what caught my eye was the Milwaukee
3: Bucks season. this Milwaukee Bucks team went 60 and 22 that year uh, so obviously they were a really great team they didn't have the best record in the in the NBA like you mentioned the Celtics that year uh, had 68 wins which is absurd. Um, but the Bucks were tied with the Lakers for having the second best record in the NBA, so they were obviously very good. I mean, they split the season series they had with the Celtics and with the Lakers. So I mean, everybody I think expected them to to rock out of the the first round of ease. They were playing the forty seven and thirty five Golden State Warriors, uh, obviously the bottom seed. The Bucks were the one seed, um, and they and they couldn't do it. They lost in, in six games to the 47 and 35 Warriors. I mean, we're talking about a Bucks team that had basically prime Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, who averaged like 30, 15, and, and 5 or something like that that season. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, Oscar Robertson was not uh, not in his prime anymore. He was like 34 by that point. But he still was putting up uh, solid numbers, 15, 15, uh, 15, 5, and 8 or so. Um, and, I mean, the Warriors' best player was Rick Barry. You've heard of Rick Barry, but nobody really is bl- blown away by Rick Barry in any context. So, um, yeah, the Bucks losing. They were up in three, uh, in three games, 2-1, on the Warriors in that series. And then they just let each of the next three games slip away. And what's really tragic is that they, they lost three of those, the four games that they lost in that series by five points or fewer. Whereas the two, the, both of the games that they won... They won by 20 points. So it was like they were really capable of blowing the Warriors out. They just uh, – something, something fell apart for them in the, in the first round. Uh, I think people would have loved to see a matchup between them and the Lakers or the, um, or the Celtics later on in those playoffs, and we just couldn't get it. So tough tough luck for the
4: Bucs. Yeah. Tough luck for the Bucs. Um, I'm going to talk about a team that did not have tough luck um, and has never had tough luck. Uh, the new york knicks and uh the, the knicks did not have one of the best records in the nba uh, in the 1973 season uh they were well behind the celtics the lakers the bucks uh, but they still managed to win i think it was 49 games uh and in the playoffs is where they actually made their real impact led by walt frazier Uh, He was the only player who scored in the in the 20s. They had a bunch of they were a real team. The Knicks Uh, They had a a bit player named Phil Jackson, who uh, (laughs) um, that was that was his height was being uh, (laughs) off the bench for the Knicks. Um, And the the real uh, intense matchup came between the Celtics and the Knicks in the playoffs, which the Knicks took uh, and then went on to win the championship. And uh, they'd, yeah, go on to win many more championships. So uh, that's, it's not a, a season that I, you know, <laughs> idolize and think about all the time. That was <laughs> the first of many. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, um, I guess I'm going to go switch it over to a team that wasn't as successful. But the storyline I looked at was the Kansas City Omaha Kings splitting their home games between Kansas City and Omaha. And mind you, Kansas City, Missouri, and Omaha are not really that close. They're 185 miles apart, but they split their home games between those two towns for some reason. It's a three-hour drive, if you were wondering. Um, I was trying to find some really cool in-depth correlation between it, but honestly, they were still like pretty good at home. They were 10-5 and in their Omaha games, and they actually were really bad when they had more than two days rest. They were 9-15. and so they played way better on. Well, they didn't play good because they had they were bad, but they had a better record uh, on no days or one days rest. Um, one interesting thing about the team though is they were the best team in terms of points per one hundred possessions. They were the best in the league and literally the worst in the league on defensive rating. So the teams just walked over them on defense, I guess. Um, so yeah, nineteen, traveling. nineteen. Yeah, all that traveling <laughs> meant they did not want to play defense. Uh, but 1972 and 73 was a, a pretty pretty weird year. Uh, when the season started, the number one song in the U.S. charts was called "My Dingling by Chuck Berry. So <laughs> that might tell you a little bit about the times. Um, but we're gonna go. We're gonna we're gonna debate a little bit about the NBA MVP race. Maybe a little controversial. Uh, Dave Cohens of the Boston Celtics was awarded the award over other players like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and the Kansas City Omaha <coughs> Kings' own Tiny Archibald. Wyatt, do you want to give us a, lead us off in that discussion? <laughs> I do, and I, I, I was
1: originally reading this. I said, should anybody win the MVP over Kareem? And I was going to say, of course not. But I watched a 1972 da- game of Dave Cohen's, and yeah. he absolutely should have won the MVP. <laughs> he was eating it up. He was eating it up out there. where he and was Kareem was Cream, the game the game that I watched was against cream and Dave, Dave Cohens had his number that game. Nobody throws a better outlet pass than Dave Cohens. This man was grabbing rebounds like you've never seen it. even Dennis Rodman, who's supposed to be the greatest rebound re- rebounder ever. Dave Cohens walked so Dennis Rodman could run. He was the first of his kind. He was the first of the Kevin Love kind the greatest outlet passes I've ever seen. Dave Cohen's owned Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in this game, and I'm going strictly off of this eye test here. And right. so The eye test tells me that's an MVP that I'm looking at. Your rebuttal.
2: Uh, my rebuttal is my that Kareem uh, had better stats in literally every major category. It's the eye, field test.
1: Goal, it's the eye test.
2: Field goal percentage, points per game, um, assists no. per game rebounds he was .1 less yeah go ahead and
1: read the rebounds right. we'll let him know the <laughs>
2: <rebound>. <laughs> we'll forget that. no but you know
3: what it is you know what it is it's literally people didn't want Kareem to win three straight MVPs because he'd won it in 71 and 72 that's all it is Kareem definitely deserved it
1: and Dave earned it
0: <laughs> Is there no love, Dave? Is there no love for tiny, tiny Archibald? Though tiny Archibald averaged thirty-four points a game. You don't see that every day. For the Thirty-six
4: yep. and forty-six.
0: Kings. Exactly. Yeah, yeah how, how
2: valuable are you to your team if you if you lost forty-six games? You know. Yeah. I don't know.
0: That's true. And Kareem also did have 30.5 points per game. They would have lost not too far off without Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without Tiny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. What, one thing worth
2: yeah. mentioning is that the MVP was voted on by the players that year. Mm. Well, until the until 1980-81 season, it was voted on by the players. But the All-NBA team was voted by the press. So Dave Cohen's is the most recent person to not make the first team All NBA team, but be named the MVP. Okay, because <laughs> oh, game
1: no. because game recognizes game, and press the press, they don't get it. <laughs> oh, the yeah. people in the NBA, they no. know what they're looking at. Game recognizes game, but the press can't sit here and tell me who should have been an All Pro. Go ahead, Bart.
3: That is another separate discussion entirely, but it's probably worth having whether whether it should be the press voting on anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just Dave, if you're listening. Uh, Mr. Cohen's, go ahead and send us a DM. I'd love to love to have you on the pod.
0: Yeah, do you think <laughs> Dave Cohens has a Twitter? Can we look at that I up? Because we'll I feel like he's like passes. He's seventy one years old. So I have no idea. He might.
2: <laughs> uh, one more thing about the All NBA team. Oh, 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 yeah. There's only. Wait. I typed in
1: Dave Cohen's Twitter, and it the the at is MVP Dave Cohen's. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yes.
3: Kareem wouldn't do that.
4: Yeah. Would <laughs> be MVPs, yeah. yeah. One MVP, right. sorry. <laughs> yeah.
2: One more quick thing. So there was there was one other player who didn't make first team All-NBA uh-huh. and won the MVP. It's one player and he did it 3 times. Do you guys know who it is? Can you take a guess? It was before Dave Cohen's. Oh, Bill Russell. Bill Russell, ding ding ding. It Bury. was Bill Russell. He made the. He was the MVP in three seasons when he was second team All NBA, which just clearly the disconnect between the players and the press was. So does that mean All NBA means nothing? Yes. Okay. In conclusion, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of meaning nothing, Dave Cohen's also won the NBA All Star MVP that year. So. <laughs> he was on a tear. Yeah, that was, was his
0: like crowning achievement. They didn't win a title or anything, but I know.
3: <laughs> Yeah, well, who's the all-time leader in points? Case closed.
0: <laughs> Dave, <laughs> Dave Cohen, I think. Yeah. Is Dave <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we all, all learn
4: from kids. You
1: know. yeah, yeah. He got 13,516 points. I don't that's know where that ranks. That's near the top. That,
3: That's like, yeah, that's like less than points than that. that. Yeah, yeah. God.
1: <laughs> He's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Really? Eight-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA. He was an All-Rookie. Of course, the MVP. Two-time champ three time all defensive um oh yeah the all star game mvp and he was the rookie of the year mm-hmm. put some respect mm-hmm. on dave cohen's name man <laughs> okay that's a pretty our, respectable our resume, resume i'll say it but you know. dave no, cohen's no.
2: or lebron let's have that to do. <laughs> <laughs> i'm
4: looking at a list of ranking the last 50 nba mvps and dave cohen's is 46 so <laughs> Steve Nash is the last two places on it, 49 and 50. So a little bitter about that. But, you know, that's that's another discussion. Yeah, Dude, I love Steve Nash, but his MVPs his are so
3: suspect. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Fine. <laughs> uh, we will now transition into our final segment. What are you watching? Last week we did this segment and we based it on current events slash sports uh, this week, in in the same vein as our other segments, we're going to be taking a look back at historical, classic, old-time sporting events. Uh, Wyatt and I will will kick things off. We're going to be debating between the 2016 NBA Finals Game Seven or the 2013 NBA Finals Game Six. Uh, Wyatt, why don't you start us off? Which one would you watch?
1: So when I wasn't watching Dave Cohen highlight reels, uh, I was kind of <laughs> going between. I watched. I did watch like the last couple minutes of the 2016 NBA finals game. And then, then I watched some of the 2013 NBA finals game. And I felt like this was really tough because of mm. course there's like the shot of shots, the probably the greatest shot I would say in NBA history, Ray Allen made in the game six finals that sent it to overtime, but I'm going to go with the 2016 NBA finals game. Um, I think it's a, it's a pretty, pretty good cap to the, the comeback that LeBron and Kyrie made in the three-one comeback against the Golden State Warriors, I think it's a it's a place in history more than the 2013 NBA Finals, and for that reason, I'm gonna I would I would go with the 2016.
3: I yeah I I, I have the same conclusion. I, I was torn for a while because uh, yeah, like you said, Ray Allen's shot is is probably the most iconic uh, like NBA moment of if not my life of my like NBA viewing career. So it, it, yeah, for that reason alone, I consider the Game Six of 2013. But yeah, um, just the, LeBron finally getting his first title—I uh, should say his only title—with the with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, LeBron capping off a series where he literally led all players in like all six or seven of the major statistical categories. Craziness. Um, and just generally, the Warriors getting uh, getting knocked off the pedestal. The, the villainous, awful Warriors. Um, makes makes that game seven I think the choice for me as well so Aiden I'm gonna start with you on this
1: next one we're gonna go in between the NFL 1987 AFC championship the drive um, or the Super Bowl helmet catch game which one you picking I mean, I
4: remember both clear as day, watching them. Today. I remember <laughs> that <laughs> fall slash winter day in 1987 when uh, John Elway led a 98-yard drive to, to tie the game against the Browns and then uh, went to OT to, to beat the Browns. I feel like that was the start of the Browns' curse. Uh, but honestly, I got to go with the game. That Maybe this is recency bias, but I, I got to go with uh, the helmet catch and uh, the, the Giants taking down the Patriots. Um, David Tyree, bench warmer, had four catches the entire season. He was a special teams guy. He was a you know a guy you want on the team, but not, you know, um in, in big moments necessarily. First but guy in, the last Bowl, guy out. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, he caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl, which was his first touchdown of the season, and then had the helmet catch. Why he was in the game, who knows? But against an undefeated Patriots team that like prosperity would have very possibly been considered the best team in NFL history if they had completed uh, their what 19 and season. Um, but yeah. the Giants took them down, and it was a legendary moment uh, where it really felt like the um, the Giants of the Patriots, their their legend, kind of got toppled, and it was it was great.
2: Aiden, I'm going to strongly disagree with you. Oof. I'm actually surprised Oof. that I didn't think that whoever picked this would pick the helmet catch. So no for my so for my criteria I assume that I'm literally watching a rerun so I already mm-hmm. know what happens at the end mm-hmm. um, and and like the video quality I'm not there in person so the video quality <laughs> could could hinder my pick possibly but in this case I did not go with recency bias I went with the 1987 AFC well the AFC championship the drive because mm-hmm. you don't want to watch a movie where nothing happens until the third act uh, and once you know what's happens, there's no excitement waiting for the big play at the end anyway. So because of that, I didn't go for the helmet catch because people forget it was 7-3 to three going into the fourth quarter. I don't really want to watch a game that was 7-3 to three going into the fourth quarter. The helmet catch is also, in my opinion, is one of the most overrated sports moments in history because it's it's like all luck. Pretty much all luck. Eli's evasive action in the pocket is impressive, but... The catch itself was just like all luck, <laughs> and the catch—the catch wasn't it's... even for a touchdown. It's just a first down. Like, like, are you kidding me? It was anyway, fourth down. The game was, was yeah. ending. It was like, third. It was, was third down. down. He didn't make it. Yeah. It, no, it was third down. They they had another play. It was third and five too. Anyway, they would have. The 19- a- <laughs> yeah, <they would've> nineteen. <laughs> there was like less than two minutes. But I don't know uh, if you can the call AFC it luck. Championship. The AFC. <laughs> meanwhile, the AFC Championship had constant tension uh the broncos were um excuse me i think it should be the browns were leading at the end of the third quarter or no the broncos were leading at the end of the third quarter and the browns made a, a little jump but then the broncos made that final drive um the highlights looked pretty good video quality wise so and also i prefer games that were played in front of like a home or away crowd rather than a neutral site because the crowd's like more into it and stuff anyway that's that's my that's my uh mic up. the helmet catch was stu- is stupid you're me highlight- <laughs> highlights were <laughs> of quality
3: in a game where the Browns were relevant? How does that work? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, which pixels right? the ball, yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> um, we're going to transition over to soccer now. The uh, options are the 2019 Champions League semifinal, leg two in which Liverpool beat Barcelona, or the 1999 Champions League final between Manchester United and Bayern Munich. Uh, Lucas, start us off. Give us some context.
0: Um, so... I chose Liverpool versus Barcelona, which even personal feelings aside with me being a Liverpool fan, I think it's just an absolutely iconic game, all things considered. Um, It's hard enough for a team to go down 3-0 in the first leg. So in Champions League semifinals, you play a home leg and an away leg, and the combined score wins. Um, It's hard enough to go down 3-0, but it's even harder when you go down to Barcelona, who's like inarguably the best team in the world, have Messi, Suarez, all those guys... And then Liverpool had to do it with their best player being injured, Mohamed Salah, their starting striker being injured, Roberto Firmino. And you have a guy come in named Divac Origi, who had been the backup striker all year. A couple of years earlier, he'd been voted the worst player in all of France. And then he scored two goals um, and sort of launched them back into the game. Uh, You have the iconic moment with Trent Alexander-Arnold taking the quick corner and fooling all of Barcelona's defense. Putting it to a Rigi from to score and them to win four three so great comeback lots of moments great adversity I'm choosing Liverpool versus Barcelona to watch if I have to watch it again.
3: Uh, yeah, I I agree. So for those of you who aren't aware in the in the 1999 Champions League final between Manu and Bayern, uh, Bayern went up. I think it was in the seventh minute one zero. And then for the whole remainder of the game until extra time, nothing happened. This is my interpretation of soccer. Uh, and then Manu miraculously scored two goals in extra time to actually win the final 2-1. Um, it, it, obviously, it was devastating, as you can imagine, for the Bayern players. The highlights of them like lying on the ground or whatever are, are pretty sad, actually. But uh, for the reason that I just mentioned, for the fact that for approximately 90 minutes of game time, there are no goals in the Manu versus Bayern game, I have to go with, with Liverpool versus Barcelona as well. Um, like, like Lucas said, Salah was out, which, which hurts, but even um, just getting to watch Messi and all his genius, I know they didn't score any goals, but um, that's really great. And then just throughout the whole game, it was a lot more exciting. Four goals is, is uh, awesome soccer, so that's my choice as well. Next up, we're, t- we're t- uh, pivoting to the MLB. Uh, the options for you guys, Wyatt and Aiden, are the 2016 World Series Game 7 or the 2001 World Series Game 7. I'm this,
1: this feels like an easy one to me. I'm going to go with the 2016 world series game seven um, more so because I can remember it. And then in 2001, I was four years old, so (laughs) I can actually think back to the 2016 world series and as it's place in history is pretty significant with it was the Cubs, right? The Cubs winning (laughs) in a hundred years, even better, which proves my (laughs) point even more. (laughs) So yeah, I'm going with the 2016 uh, game seven.
4: Yeah, I'm actually going to play devil's advocate here and go with the 2001 <laughs> World Series Game 7. I know this is this is not what the people want, but uh, what can I say? I'm a sucker for the Yankees losing. That's what went, so I got to find joy somewhere. And uh, the Yankees at that point had won four of the last five World Serieses. Uh, they had in the um, ALCS, they'd beaten the Mariners, who had just had the best regular season in uh, MLB history. The Yankees looked pretty unstoppable, to be honest. Yeah, they beat the Mariners 4-1 at that. The Mariners won 116 games that year. Um, And the Diamondbacks down in Game 7 in the ninth against Mariano Rivera, the best closer in history, just fell kind of over, but it wasn't. And they won on Luis Gonzalez's bloop single. (laughs) It remains the state of Arizona's only men's major sports championship. Uh so it's it's kinda of like the Cubs in that, you know, it's it's a significant win for, for Arizona. Uh and so I, I think people forget how uh how big that win was, whereas everyone remembers, you know, the the Cubs because of the whole, you know, yeah. it been a hundred years stuff. Uh but anyway, I, I think the two thousand one World Series Game Seven was a pretty fantastic game.
2: It was it was like two one going into the ninth. Nothing really what? happened. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs>
4: jared needs to be entertained all the time (laughs) it's exhausting (laughs) but anyway we're gonna we're gonna finish off with some hockey uh with our our two choices being between the classic the miracle on ice uh or the 1987 patrick division semifinals game seven between the islanders and the capitals which went into quadruple overtime uh lucas what's your pick
0: um, so I think this is our first ever hockey discussion on this podcast, which is a, a fun little moment. First
3: and last. I don't even mess with hockey like that, but being from Minnesota, I cannot allow this. It's <laughs> <laughs> insulting language. First and hopefully not last.
0: Anyway. <laughs> Regardless, um, I think the Miracle Noise is... The Miracle on Ice is the easy choice here, but I'm not going to pick it. <laughs> um, if, I, if, I am lo- if I'm in isolation and quarantine for a couple more weeks and going crazy, I'm like, Jared, I want to be entertained. The Miracle on Ice was a good game, but without context, maybe not as exciting as uh, the 1987 Patrick Division semifinals. Um, it's called the Easter Epic. It happened Easter weekend, and it was an entertaining game. Roland. Four overtimes, absolutely nuts. Um, the Islanders went down a goal twice and came back each time and then held on for four overtimes. And the man Pat LaFontaine uh, was the hero with a goal. It sent them to the next round of the playoffs. Great game. I'll pick the Patrick Division semifinals from 87.
2: Again, I strongly disagree. <laughs> I thought this was the most lopsided one on here. It's got to be Miracle on Ice. Even taking away context, in the Easter special, the Game 7 of the Patrick Division semifinals, nothing happened in the first three overtimes. It was 0-0 for three overtimes. And and also the fact that I don't really want to watch hockey anyway, but I had to pick between the two. I'm going with Miracle on Ice. That one was a good game. Like, the U.S. was down going into um, – was. It was 4-3, and then they scored two more to... to or I mean, excuse me, it was 2-3, then they scored two more to make it 4-3, so the U.S. made a late push. Also, harder to find good quality footage of Game 7, so I went with Miracle on Ice. Because <laughs> if I'm watching a rerun, it has to be good quality footage, you know? So
3: I feel like this assumption that you had to be watching a rerun <laughs> and not being there in person was just entirely, like, made by you. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was.
2: That's my assumption, though. <laughs> That's my criteria. Okay. Deal with it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's going to conclude our episode. I do want to kind of throw out a couple more David Cohen stats that I looked up. (laughs) Give the people what they want. So Dave Cohen's right now, I I said he had 13,000 points. He's now ranked 185th on the all-time points leading list, which puts him one spot ahead of Blake Griffin so so think about that one guys That's is crazy. Dave Cohen's better than Blake Griffin I think it's really up for debate um, but if you made it this far go ahead and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts leave us a five star review um, if you're bored go ahead and go over to our Twitter we do polls we're trying to keep you guys entertained in this meantime um, but thanks for listening we appreciate it